0: We are studying encouragement together, and um, our study of encouragement has to do with the word itself, encouragement. N is into. Ment is a state or a position, and the middle word is courage, to put into a state of courage. Scripture tells us a lot about encouragement. And if you didn't know this, you have that ministry. You are called to encourage one another. And so it's best that we know what we're doing with that. Encouragement. It's an incredible thing to study. And we started this uh, a little bit ago. Uh, Sunday night two weeks ago we just defined the word on a Sunday night and last week we started to illustrate it and I'm going to illustrate it for several weeks in a row using Old Testament examples of that word encouragement and I found in my study of the word such unusual situations and such an unusual uh, situation that that called for encouragement It, it surprised me. In several different situations. It surprised me. And you might find that too. But when we wrap this up, we're going to bring it back to our, our responsibility. The walk of encouragement. And the work of encouragement that we've been called to do. So that's where we are. And today we're going to follow up with another illustration from the Old Testament. Now, I don't know about you, but I prefer... To read the Old Testament and learn by their example than to have been in the Old Testament and been an example. Would you like your life written down in black and white for people to read it and say, boy, I'm not going to do that. There's so many instances, I'm afraid, that we find uh, folks living in in Old Testament times going through very difficult days. We're going to see some of those folks. And this is a very needed ministry in their day. And we're going to see a comparison to ours as well, I'm sure. But last week we talked about Moses and Joshua, and the role Moses was actually given. Right there, almost as you would say on his deathbed. He was, he was about to go up on the mountain, and the Lord said he'd die up on that mountain. And he had led the people for 40 years in the wilderness, and he was to hand off that responsibility of leadership to Joshua. Joshua. And rather than thinking about the land, thinking about his career, he was told by God, encourage Joshua. That was his job, in transition, to encourage him. And I gave you that last week, and it's not an easy thing to do. It's hard to let go of something that you've, you've possessed for so long and hand it to somebody else to run with it. And so we talked about Joshua and Moses last week. Today we're going to the book of Daniel. Would you join me, Daniel chapter number 11. Daniel chapter 11. You've got one of the characters today that we're going to look at in uh, our study of encouragement. And it's Daniel chapter 11, verse number 1. This is a very unusual thing concerning encouragement. It says just in verse number 1, In the first year of Darius the Mede, I rose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. Alright, let me read that again and think as I read. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I rose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. That's Darius. Darius is the hymn. Encouragement sometimes sets itself in a very unusual and funny place. Not what we would expect at times. Daniel is a man we're familiar with. We're going to talk about Daniel a bit, but we're going to talk about Darius too. So let's ask for the Lord's help as we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for recording these things that actually happened in history. Men, women, others that we read of in our passages, whether great or small, they were people used by you to set an example, even for us of how we can walk with you, how we can minister to others. Today, as we look into the life of Daniel, in this one instant particularly, I pray that you might challenge us with these words. I know, Lord, that uh, there is much we could glean from it. So challenge us today and teach us another aspect of this ministry of encouragement, that we might be quick to do it. To your honor and glory and to the good of somebody else, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Daniel is a man you're quite familiar with. I know you are. You've seen the flannel graph and such, right? Daniel, a very faithful man, right? We read of his life and and we find very little that we would stop and say, boy, I wouldn't do it that way when we talk about Daniel. A very faithful man and one who had his faith challenged. Perhaps this is what uh, Hebrews 11:33 was speaking of. They never named Daniel exactly, but they did say in Hebrews 11:33 that those who walked by faith um, conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises and shut the mouth of lions. Is it not Daniel we think of when we hear that phrase, "Shut the mouth of lions?" Now, we're going to talk about Daniel just a little bit, but let's go to this other man that just was referenced in, in this Daniel 11, verse 1. Darius or Darius? We could spend the whole day debating that. you just have to put up with the way I choose. All right? I've seen it both ways. Darius, some people say. Darius, some people say. Um, we do know very little about him. Matter of fact, here's one of our problems. When we go to study the man named Darius in scripture, we find that either he lived to be about 300 years old, or there was more than one of them. Especially when you identify one's Darius the Mede and one's Darius the Persian, and there's another Darius in there. There's actually three different Dariuses. Dariuses, I think that's a plural of Darius, uh, in the Old Testament. And that can get a little confusing, can't it? As you're trying to map it out and say, who is this man named Darius? Well, the first one that we encounter, and actually the one we're going to see today, is uh, one that was called the Mede. Darius the Mede. He was the king of Media. And in a historical context, he and the Persian king Cyrus joined up together and went into battle against the Babylonians. We're going to get just a touch of that history here uh, this morning. But this is Darius who was given the role of ruling over the conquered kingdom of Babylon. right, that's Darius the Mede. That's the first one we're going to encounter, and we're going to see his name today. There's a second one that pops up, and the reason why i bring up the other two is that in the course of our study, we're probably going to see all of them. All right? So there's another Darius that comes on the uh, scene just shortly after this Darius. And he was uh, part of a, a group of six Persian chiefs who um, was dealing with some sort of a plot to take over the kingdom. Uh, there was an a usurpation going on there by a, a magician named Smyrdis. And he was one of six that went in in bravery, wrestled the kingdom back out of his hand. And as a result, they promoted him to the rulership as king. He's the one you're going to find in the book of Ezra. Very significant man there, too. His name is Darius. He's a different man than this one. Now, the third one that can be encountered is Darius the Persian. Darius the Persian. And he comes along during the days of... Nehemiah and he's also recorded in scripture. But like I said if you try to identify all three as one individual you've got to stretch a whole lot of years to cover from Daniel's day all the way into Nehemiah's day. But uh, Darius number 1 is our focus today. Darius number 1 co-reigner with Cyrus the Persian king. You see Cyrus apparently loved to conquer. He was a general. He led the army and so he would go from place to place and conquer. But, you know, once you conquer a, a kingdom or such, you don't want them just to, to sit there without some sort of authority over them. Cyrus had other places to go and conquer. So in the joint effort between him, uh, the Persians, and the Medes, uh, he set up Darius to reign on that conquered throne of Babylon. Babylon. Alright, so you got a little picture here, alright? They both went in to conquer together, but Cyrus moved on to conquer some more. Darius was left to rule a conquered kingdom called Babylon. Now, go back with me to chapter number 5 for a minute, the book of Daniel. And I want to set the table for you concerning Darius. Chapter 5, verse 29, right toward the very end of the chapter. It says here, then Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar was the last of the Babylonian kings. Not a good man. He, he, uh, he had a problem, especially in this scene, uh, with drinking. He also decided to bring in the cups that belonged to the temple. And they were going to use it part of their worship service of idols and drink with them and such. And if you remember this story, and I know you do, God came to him in the form of a hand. And wrote on the wall, many, many, tekel you farsen. Which said, you've been numbered, you've been counted, you've been found wanting. That kingdom is going to be taken away from him. Daniel was there that day. matter of fact, he was was greatly rewarded for interpreting what was on the wall. And Daniel's thinking, boy, this isn't going to last long. It wasn't for hours. And the kingdom was destroyed by the Medes and the Persians. God had sent them. So here is Belshazzar. He's the one we're going to see here. Then Belshazzar gave orders and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he, is now, he now has authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of sixty-two. Sixty-two. right? Now, his first act, starting into chapter number six here, was to uh, appoint satraps, 120 of them, over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them were three commissioners of whom Daniel was one of them, that the satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Now, try to put yourself in this man's sandals, alright? He is 62 years old, he has just been handed Babylon to rule over. He has a huge amount of people under him that yesterday wasn't. Could you imagine the sudden transition in that nature? All of a sudden, you're now ruler of an entirely, uh, of a vast kingdom, is that. How do you rule these people? You don't just bring in your own. Matter of fact, there probably weren't enough means to have taken all the positions. And so he, as you can see, he appointed satraps among them, and even Daniel as one of them, so he took them, from the, you know, the, the, the Babylonian people, those who were already the populace. Now there's some intelligence in that, isn't there? They already speak the language, they already know the culture, they already have some sense of... Well, in the case of Daniel, he was already a ruler. So it seemed like a, a pretty smooth way to move from one kingdom to another kingdom so suddenly was just put the, 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 the people over themselves to govern them. And it seems wise... Especially when you're ruling a group of people you've never known. However, there's something else to this whole dynamic. Darius has never ruled over Israel before. When he conquered Babylon, guess what else he got? He got God's people too. Now, the average king out there doing the average rule... Ruling over the average person, they might be just fine doing it their way. But when you're called to rule over God's people, that's entirely different. You're not just dealing with people and culture. You're dealing with a true and living God who those people belong to. That's entirely new. That's entirely new. See, in addition to conquering Babylon, he became a Gentile ruler over God's people. That's a dynamic he had never known for 62 years. And all of a sudden, there it is, thrown in his lap. We have only one year recorded of his reign. Only one. Scripture only tells us one year of that reign. And that's the one you're looking at here. Now, let's go to Daniel for a minute. Daniel... He was a very young man when the Babylonians came and captured him back further in, in the uh, book, but especially as you go into End of book of Second Kings and End of Second Chronicles, uh, Daniel was among those young men taken, if you recall, in order to be trained up to be leaders among the people, and they were meant to be made Babylonian, right? They changed their clothing, they changed their diet, they changed their names, even. <laughs> And in that process, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to make them Babylonian. How did that work with Daniel? Oh, he changed his name, but we still call him Daniel. He tried to convince Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and others to worship his gods, but they were sometimes the ones standing up when everyone else is down. There's all kinds of great instances in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, that shows you that Daniel was in Babylon, but Babylon wasn't in Daniel. There's Daniel, captured, probably in his teens. He stayed in Babylon for 70 years of captivity. How old is he now? Oh, our flannel graph has fooled us again. They always put Daniel in this younger looking, he's about 85. He's about 85 years old. It's a scene that we're about to see here. Daniel is is much advanced in his age. And what he has experienced, according to the book of Daniel, chapter 7 all the way up to where we're going to look in chapter number 11 here, he has been seeing visions, incredible visions of the future of Israel. Because he wondered, when that 70 years was up, he had read in Jeremiah's scroll... That at the end of 70 years, God would bring them back. He knew that the captivity was 70 years. He lived through all of it. And now he's starting to ask God, God, 70 years are up. What's now? And God started to give him incredible visions in chapter number 7 and chapter 8 and chapter 9 all about Israel and what their future had to be. And it was very interesting that most of that was under the dominion of Gentile kings. And Daniel was listening. He was hoping, perhaps, that Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and all that was going to be wrapped up here, and then they'd go back. But the way God outlined it, there were more kings coming. And he even went to say it was the Medes and the Persians. So there's Daniel now looking at the new king, this Mede that's sitting on the throne, knowing full well that God is sovereign in all these things. But here he is in Daniel, or Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. When Darius was setting up these satraps in order to rule over the kingdom, that he pointed out Daniel as one who would have a significant part in overseeing all the satraps. Now, chapter 6, verse 4, we have to add this part to it. Well, let's go, go back to verse 3, because verse 3 is important. Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners. And satraps, because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Right? So Darius is thinking, well, this is going to be easy. I'll just put him in charge. And then i don't have to fret over how do I rule these people. Let Daniel rule. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. They could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. I love that verse. They investigated Daniel thoroughly. They just checked his Facebook page. (laughs) Guess what they found? No problem. Would you like to live in a land where there's no problems? No corruption. No discrepancies in the books. No accusations they could make. He paid his taxes. He did all these things that he was supposed to do. He was faithful, the word says. He was faithful. They were jealous. He was faithful. And they could find nothing To accuse him of. Matter of fact, they even admit to it in verse number five. These men said, We can find no grounds of accusation against this Daniel, unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. So they started a plot. In verse six, it says, These commissioners and satraps came together by agreement to the king and spoke to him, saying, King Darius, or Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, which is a lie, by the way, because Daniel was not in it, uh, the prefects and the satraps and the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and an, enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for thirty days he shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king... Establish the injunction. Sign the document so that it may not be changed. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. He was manipulated into signing a the law. They used flattery. Now, it still works. But that's the technique they used. Matter of fact, put it yourself still back in his sandals for a minute. You don't know these people. You don't understand these people. It sounds like they're all rallying around you, right? So he's thinking, okay, well, maybe this is good for government. Let's sign it. And he did sign it. Although they had a plan. Now, verse number 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, he had a rook chamber. Which windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God, and they approached and spoke to the king about the king's injunction: "Did you not sign the injunction that any man who makes a petition to any God or any man beside you, old king, for thirty days is to be cast into lion's dead? And the king says, that statement is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered, And said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, Pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed and keeps making his petition three times a day. They have now said it, So it's Daniel versus Darius. Competition. Daniel versus Darius. One against the other. What do you think a a king ought to do? He's got the law on one side, but he's got a very faithful servant on the other side. What's he to do? Do you think he, he all of a sudden had that light bulb click and he says, Oh, now I know what you were up to. But he's trapped. He's trapped. So this is what happened. Verse 15. 14. 14. As soon as the king heard the statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. Look at that. He set his mind on delivering Daniel. That was his ambition. He wanted to to set Daniel free. So he started to think, let's see, how can I do this? And he stayed that way, even until sunset. He kept exerting himself to rescue him. That's a long day, isn't it? How do I do this? How do I set him free? How do I set him free? How do I get out from this? And as soon as the king heard this, this is what he thought. So these men came by agreement to the king. And said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or statute which a king established may be changed. Darius was forced to slay Daniel. Isn't this interesting? I thought Darius was a king. (laughs) Here's a king being told what to do by his servants. Do it, O king. Do it. You made the law. Do it. That's very deceptive of them. Deceptive. What a mess his first year has just become. Can you see it? What an absolute mess this is. Now let's get a glimpse of him. Verse 16. The king gave orders. Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. He had no choice. But it doesn't stop there. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. You're starting to get a glimpse of this man a little bit here. Matter of fact, what does that say about Daniel? The king knew him well, didn't he? You serve this God. This God will deliver you, he says. He says, and a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. The king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting. Why does somebody fast? Usually that means something is so distressing to me right now that food is not an issue. I need to pray. I need to spend my time with God. Notice this king is fasting. Because this is more important to him than anything else. He's fasting. And no entertainment was brought before him. And his sleep fled from him. Now the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. Why would he do that? He knew very well throwing him in the lion's den was doomed. He was breakfast, he was lunch, he was dinner, whatever the lions chose. He knew by putting that rock over that, Daniel wasn't getting out. So why does he get up and run to that place in the morning? What was on his heart? Was he going to count bones? Oh no. Not Darius. If he thought Daniel was dead, he wouldn't have gone. But there's something in this man that said... You have a different kind of God. So he went. He went as if expecting something. Were his expectations realized? Look at the next phrase. When he came near to the den uh, to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, I got to do it. Daniel! Right? He's, just, he's nervous as can be, but with a troubled voice. Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, there's only one answer to that question. You don't ask that question and somebody says no. There's only one answer. Right? Notice the way he even worded it. Daniel says to him, O king, live forever. Can you imagine the relief on his heart to hear that voice? My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. The king was very pleased, (laughs) gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And then verse 24 is not a pleasant verse, but he decided, well, the other guys need to go try it too. And he tossed them into the lion's den, and well, their outcome wasn't the same. We'll go back to Daniel. Verse 25. Darius the king wrote to all the people, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heavens and on earth. And who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. That's a declaration he made and he sent it to all his kingdom. You like what it said? Wonderful, isn't it? Now let's take a look at it all again. Go back and look at this. Daniel was the one thrown in the lion's den, right? But who needed the encouragement? It wasn't Daniel, was it? Daniel, generally we think, well, you know, Daniel, you're going through a a very tough episode in life right here. Thrown into a lion's den. Spent the night there. We, we generally focus on Daniel all the way through this. Yes, a man of faith. Yes, a man who, who walked with the Lord and his, his testimony is still true today. We still talk about Daniel. But who needed to be put into a place of courage? Back to chapter 11. This one year... For this man's reign that we know of, it's recorded right here in verse number 1, what God had planned for Darius. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. Now you may say, well, is that Daniel writing this? Daniel was the one called to be an encouragement and a protector for him? To tell the truth, it's not Daniel. If you read the context into chapter number 10 and into this point, he's talking about an angel. An angel that God had sent for this role. An angel given the responsibility of overseeing Darius the Mede. This angel said, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. This is what J. Vernon McGee wrote in his commentary. The speaker here is an angel. And this is a continuation from chapter 10. The angel may have been Gabriel, but we are not told his name. Remember that it occurred during the reign of Darius that Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. Darius tried in vain to deliver Daniel, but he was trapped by his own decree. Yet it is said of Daniel, Thy God whom I serve continuously, he will deliver thee. So I stood and confirmed to confirm and strengthen him. The angel confirmed and strengthened Darius in his faith. He also comforted and assisted Daniel... And Daniel said, you recall, my God had sent his angel and had shut the mouth of lines. Here is an element of encouragement that's often overlooked. Primarily, I believe, because we consider encouragement to be exclusively a Christian commodity. It's what we do to other believers, right? We encourage one another. We're told to do that. Encourage one another. So we tend to think of this. Now turn the tables for a second and think it through this way. An angel is given the role of encouraging a pagan Gentile. Isn't that different? An unbeliever at best, we know. And yet it's this angel's specific responsibility to encourage him. Daniel serves as an encouragement to a pagan king. Now, does Daniel live the kind of life that would influence and alter the life of a pagan king? Think about Nebuchadnezzar and the others that he, he was a great minister in their lives. Changed them in their response before God. So now he's, 85 or 6 years old, and he's serving a brand new king who's set into a very unusual circumstance and trapped by his own people. And Daniel is serving this pagan king in a godly way. In a godly way. Now some people may think this. If it's an ungodly person that we're under, we're justified to live differently. If it's a godly uh, authority over us, well, you know, when you're in Rome, you do as the Romans do, right? Sometimes we bend to culture. We adapt to it. Sometimes we do that so we don't offend. Sometimes we think that's a wise way to win people, to act like them. Daniel did not become Babylonian to reach Nebuchadnezzar, and he did not become a Mede to reach Darius. He maintained a godly testimony. If you're going to encourage somebody in the things of God, you do not show yourself to be like them. You show yourself to be like God. I have a little saying in my office on a piece of paper... It says, you have to live with people to see their problems, but you have to live with God to solve them. And I've thought about that over the years so many times. The encouragement that we can give that is counter the culture. Counter the expectations of even what we consider the spiritual route of encouragement. You may not find it easy or even desirable, perhaps, to encourage unbelievers in a day like today. Matter of fact, what we're good at, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it, we're good at criticizing. We're good at critiquing. We're, we're good at condemning. We're good at isolating But who's going to stand forth as a godly example to show people we've got a faithful God? What better encouragement can we give to a pagan world than to show them the greatness of our God? That was Daniel's life before a man named Darius. Is that easy to do? I don't think it was easy in Daniel's day. I don't think it's easy in our day. But have you ever thought that maybe your ministry of encouragement includes unbelievers? We say we're dependent on God for our strength. Wouldn't we want them to be dependent on God for their strength too? We say that we believe in the Lord and we're going to follow His ways. Don't we want them to believe in the Lord and follow His ways? Are we going to be influential by becoming like them? Or are we going to be influential if we become like God? That was Daniel's difference. And yet in the midst of all this, he is working in the life of this man. And the beauty of it all is, God also had that plan, didn't he? He sent an angel for this job. To put Darius into a state of courage. And it changed history in their day. How's God going to use you this week? You may say, but that's an unbeliever. What's my role to an unbeliever? Have you ever thought about it as a ministry of encouragement? Show them how much you trust your Lord. Perhaps they'll see that, and they'll learn to trust him too. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for a man like Daniel. We thank you for the record of this first year reign of Darius. We thank you for the change that was evidently made in the life of Darius, because of what he witnessed, not only through the life of Daniel, but what he witnessed from your hand. Lord, sometimes when we live in a land like today, we, we separate ourselves from the world, we, we isolate ourselves, and we could even stand back and condemn it. Because we do know the course of this world. We thank you, Lord, that you set us free from that. But there are so many more who need set free too. Perhaps you might use us to stand firm to our faith, to be visible, to be vocal, to make it very clear who we follow. Maybe, Lord, we can put somebody else into a state of courage of trusting you too. If you'll use us that way, Lord, we give you the honor and the glory. We certainly want to be used by you. So however you have designed the ministry of encouragement in our lives, may we be quick to take it and use it and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.